Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I'm going to share with you an episode that I recorded yesterday with Steve Harper uh, when I was a guest on his podcast called What's Your Theory? And Steve and I always have great discussions and we love talking about culture and movies particularly. And yesterday we took on the new big hit movie, The Black Panther, which we both saw this weekend. As you probably know, The Black Panther is from Marvel Studios. It's based on a Marvel comic character, the superhero that started in the 60s, one of the first African-American superheroes. And the movie has been hailed as a milestone, not only for black culture in America, but for um, African culture as a whole. And it's written and directed by Ryan Coogler, who is a black director and has a largely black production team and cast. And that alone is significant as a cultural milestone. And it's very much a part of the soul of this movie, but is what is more significant to me and thrilling even is that these folks made a movie for all of humanity. I mean, I left the theater feeling, I told my, my guy Chuck, I was giddy with uplift. And like a part of me that had been lost was found, actually. It's really sweet and I'm grateful. And clearly, I'm not the only one who loves it. It's a number one movie around the world. It's breaking all kinds of box office records. I saw it in Variety a few minutes ago that it had the biggest Tuesday ever of a Marvel comic uh, movie. And it's on its way to becoming one of the top grocers of all time. And I think it's a huge critical hit too. Uh, so anyway, I love, as I said, talking with Steve about these things. He's a sci-fi author himself. And uh, he's big on all of the you know, lineage and history of Marvel and DC and all of that stuff. So it's really good fun. So here we go. Steve Harper and me talking about the movie Black Panther. And I'm going to share the screen. time I get Jeff to go see a movie most of the time he doesn't like the movie I have not spoken to him about it this time but you did mention that you wanted to talk about um, Marvel comics at some point or you want to talk about comic book movies at some point mm -hmm. and as you know because I have before I can go off on I can talk about that for hours on end so what we did was Black Panther was coming out perfect opportunity to talk about these movies. So we both went to go see it on opening weekend. Haven't asked Jeff about that yet. Jeff, what did you think of Black Panther? Did you like this one? I loved it. Mm. I loved it. 
I didn't expect to love it. And, um, and there's lots of things, you know, it's a, it's a comic book movie. There's a part of it that, that bores me and, you know, there's too many fights and swords and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the image of creating, it feels like for the first time, or at least there's not much of it at any rate, creating some idea of a positive future human culture that is steeped in goodness, truth, and beauty mm-hmm. instead of some dystopic apocalypse right. feels like the biggest breath of fresh air ever. And that it gets to be sort of plugged in to black culture such that there is a myth delivered to particularly, I think, young black people mm-hmm. who want to feel that, you know, just nobility of being human and mm-hmm. see it in their myth and in their history. Uh, I just think it was beautiful. And I have, uh, and so did Chuck. Mm-hmm. We both did. Uh, and so did the theater full of white people who mm-hmm. applauded at the end here in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really, really uh, uh, loved it and encouraged people to see it. Excellent. I feel the same way. Um, I also feel that, uh, well, oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I feel that it's um, very much in keeping with what we were talking about last week. There's last week. And and by the way, next week, we're going to follow up last week. We're doing a series on what is the gold of the various different uh, consciousness levels. Last week, we did traditional and talked about what is great about traditional with the idea of well, what is it that we need to be concentrating on keeping from the traditional to move on to whatever the next level is going to be from wherever we are now. Uh, long conversation. Most of you probably know what we're talking about, but if not, we get it. I'm not going to go into it again is what I'm saying. But this movie, again, had a lot of the gold of traditional. It was about the king. You know, it was, it was a, a, a monarch and what it means to be a good king. It was seeped in uh, a modern myth that is an old myth. It's the Arthurian myth. It's the king is one with the land myth and the king's personality, his conscience, his um, goodness, his nobility is wrapped in the land and the land wrapped in that. Yes. Um, And I felt like it also went through that, but then combined it with technology and combined it with modernism and certainly postmodernism because my question to you is was it integral i think it had all three of those things in spades well i would argue that it also had to an astonishing degree the magenta or the tribal Mm. and you and and um and actually integrating that with as you say this the amber traditionalism where there's the goodness of the king and then the modernism and postmodernism Yes, this movie was hitting all of those uh, chords. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, sort of by definition, an integral vision. And I actually, if I may, I wanted to read a couple paragraphs from the New York Times review of yeah. the movie, because it's basically an integral statement. It's an integral manifesto 
about this movie, and I totally agree. And I was, uh, just for, as my own observation, the, the thrill when we're flying on a spaceship into Wakanda, mm -hmm. which is this hidden African kingdom that has somehow been uh, hidden from the rest of the world, although it's the contemporary world. And it's this uh, techno-advanced and also traditional and tribal all at once. You know, I often talk about on the Daily Evolver the sacred world to come and what that's going to be like. And I've never had a real good vision of what that is. And this movie actually provided it. I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so excited about it is that you, so you're flying in on the spaceship and you're flying over these shepherds with their flocks and they mm -hmm. wave and smile. And then there's the men galloping on the horses with their tunics and their headscarves flying in the wind. And, you know, and there's the five elders, the tribes and the elders are all in this beautiful African finery, including the one guy who's wearing a, at least a four inch lower lip plate you know, with his big lower lip, and he's wearing a pastel zoot suit. Yeah. I mean, it's just beautiful. But anyway, here's how the New York Times put it. It says, part of the movie's pleasure and its ethos, which wends through its visuals, is how it dispenses with familiar either or divides. And I love that. And that's what Integral seeks to do. It, including the binary opposition that tends to shape our discourse on race. Life in Wakanda is at once urban and rural, futuristic and traditional, technological and mystical. Spaceships zoom over soaring buildings with thatched tops. A hover train zips over a market with hanging woven baskets. In one of the most striking locales, an open-air throne room is horizontally lined with suspended tree limbs, creating a loose pattern that pointedly blurs the divide between the interior and the exterior worlds. You know, that's, I mean, Ken Wilber could have written that. It's, mm -hmm. this is like a, a textbook definition of Who wrote that? New York Times. It was, um, oh, I'm not seeing who wrote it. It's uh, because it's this, oh, Manola Dar Dargas. Okay. Yeah. What did you make of the blending of technology and spiritualism, mysticism that she mentioned there? Or is that a man? I didn't. I, I think it's a woman. Um, I, um, I loved it. I think that's, that's what we're talking about. It's one of the things that, um, you know, if we think of science fiction movies, and I've loved, I love science fiction movies, but, um, you know, it's always something that, where the mystical is evil and you know mm -hmm. there's there's always these first tier memes which all these movies are made on basically it's it's like modernity gets more and more soulless right you know, this techno modern we're embedded in media there's neon signs all around us there's androids it's literally soulless uh and and so you know i think if that's the blade runner kind of approach which i loved Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love the new Blade Runner. Uh, and I give it a pass on this in a sense because it was the first to really transmit it so beautifully. And it's been done a million times since, so it feels a little hackneyed. But so there's that. And then there's you know, sort of the bleached out eco dystopia. 
There's the petition with the rich and the poor. There's Elysium where the rich people are living on a ring outside of the the Mm -hmm. world, which looks, or the the earth, which looks more like, you know, Calcutta. Yeah. And, and and then there's that hideous cloud Atlas, one of my least favorite movies (laughs) of all time, where we end up growing human beings on meat hooks for meat, Mm. you know? And, and, And so to have the mystical and the modern both presented as positive. Well, it's just, I mean, I feel the uplift in my, uh, you know, center channel when I think about it. The approach of the story was to start with the mystical. It, it started, uh, well, it started millions of years ago with the impact of this asteroid. Right. Um, but the mysticism is this chain of kings in this great country, and they have to earn their kingship and they have to, and, and and the king is also this, this sort of mystically powered super being uh, called the black Panther comes from the Panther God Bost. Um, But this uh, process happens with this shamanistic, they called him a, a warrior shaman in that flashback at the beginning Hmm. um, who a heart shaped herb. And this is a psychedelic plant that gives whoever takes it in this ritualistic way, superpowers, basically mystically derived, derived superpowers, which in the case of Wakanda are only for the King. So the king has to go through the trials of becoming the king. He has to be worthy, right? So the king of Wakanda isn't just a hereditary thing. It's you work for it. These are awesome people. And, and throughout history, they take this mystical herb, which grants them, you know, super strength and stealth and the senses of a panther or whatever, um, that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. But in this story, it's blended with technology, their technology, because they have been uh, able to develop in secret because of where they are in the middle, somewhere in the, in the, in the furthest reaches of the Congo. Um, No one knows that they're there. They were sort of skipped over by, by colonization 500 years ago, a thousand years ago. Um, And they developed this technology, which they then wed to the mysticism. So the black Panther, this hero from Wakanda, he's their King and he is King Arthur and his, his, his uh, vibranium electronic suit is his Excalibur. Right. Um, And the shaman is his Merlin, you know, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Um, Forrest Whitaker? Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Yeah. He he becomes the shaman in this story. By the way, we're not giving away any particular spoilers, I don't think. But um, yeah, I think that it's, it's fascinating the way they blended technology and mysticism. Like, in other words... They arrive at at a very uh, mature uh, relationship with technology yes. because they never lost 
the mystical. And by mystical, I don't just mean, yeah, I'm talking about the things that you can't see, the things of the soul, the things of the spirit. Right. And that's what, you know, presumably, theoretically, if integral theory is correct, Mm -hmm. in the sacred world to come, uh, we will live in a highly technological world where people can go and live on the steps and, 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 you know, raise sheep and fur and whatever they do. And, and people can go off and be in mystical sex and people can work real magic, whatever that is. Mm. And that all of that will be online in a way that is just a celebration of all of what it is to be human when we really expand and inhale all of the stuff that we left behind, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's what's so, I think, you know, it's deeply exciting to me to see that part of the movie. And there's parts of it I could give a shit, you know, that some of the plot lines and stuff, I don't, I didn't even follow them. Mm -hmm. But this, this vision of Wakanda was really the thing. And also I would, would also say that the other positive aspect of this movie is uh, not so is beyond the cultural. The, the cultural is what we've been talking about so far, but the personal. And we have this, um, you know, the 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 conflict, the narrative arc is between these cousins, mm-hmm. uh, one of whom is the king that we're talking about, and the young king, and then the other is this kind of real Black Panther, a la Oakland in the '60s, right. and he's. Um, his idea is to flip the world from being the oppressed to being the oppressor. And we're going to take over and we're going to use this vanadium to, you know, do a new world order based on us being on top for a change. And so it's interesting because that is actually, in some ways, the unhealthy aspect of green liberal culture. Mm-hmm. is that the, 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 the reparations really are in the, the victim and the identity politics actually is represented by the so-called bad guy. Now, he's not really a bad guy in the, yeah. in the way that most villains are in these comic book movies. He's a brother. He's a, actually a cousin. And you could feel his heart and the, the rightness of his cause yeah. in a certain way. But yet, you know, he's competing with this positive view of culture that says, no, we're, we're not going to re-oppress the oppressors. Yes, we were oppressed. We're going to go and use our power to help the world. And we're going to share our vanadium with the world. And we're going to open our doors. And it's time to do that. And wow. That, I think you're bringing, up, you're bringing up the most important aspect of the movie, I think, um, and very much going back into the King Arthur stuff too. But the question of it's, well, it's the modern stuff. What the, what to do with the oppressors, how to react to injustice. So Eric Killmonger, which is a lovely name. Um, and this is the, the, the so-called bad cousin uh, played yeah. by Michael B. Jordan. Amazing. And, oh, my God. You just He's have so to go good. see this guy. He's so great. Anyway. Yeah. And if you want to see any, something else, if you never saw Friday Night Lights, did you watch Friday Night Lights? One of my favorite shows of all time, Steve. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I loved him on that. And that was his first role. Yeah. He, yeah. he was amazing on that show. Everyone should TV. watch Friday Night Lights. Yes. The TV show, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so the question is, I'll ask, I'll t- the question is about the oppressors and what to do about injustice and going back into the mythological storytelling, the Arthurian storytelling. Why does T'Challa lose the fight? When they have the ritual combat, who's going to be king, right? And this is, this is Mordred from Arthur. Mordred is Arthur's bastard son. So sort of like the, the, the bastard cousin kind of thing. It's a family returning with a chip on his shoulder. And Mordred brings an army and fights Arthur's knights and defeats them. Hmm. Why does T'Challa lose this fight? I he does. think he did. He did lose this <laughs> I fight. I mean, this is where I get I'm plot challenged. Okay. You tell me, why did he lose that fight? So and are we talking about the in the first part of the movie where he, no the, in the first part of the movie T'Challa fights the T'Challa's the king combat. by the way just to make sure people know who we're talking he's about. the Black Panther right yes. uh, he's the prince at the beginning of the movie and right. he has to to they have a ritual combat scene where all the tribes of Wakanda um, have the opportunity to challenge and they all pass because they want him to be king except for one. Right. One guy comes out, challenges, and T'Challa beats him. He beats him actually uh, when his mother yells out the line, he's losing, he's been stabbed, and it looks like he might lose this fight. And his mother yells out, show him who you are. And then he stands up and he wins the fight. So he didn't lose the fight. And he's the king. He wins that. <laughs> okay. But that fight was a setup for the real ritual fight, which is when Mordred returns, when the cousin returns. Okay. Eric Killmonger. Right. Um, and he says, I have a blood right to this throne. I want the ritual challenge. And it's combat to the death. Uh, T'Challa accepts the challenge against the better judgment of other people. And Killmonger explains to him why he's doing this, that their people have been oppressed all around the world for hundreds of years, a thousand years, while Wakanda has had the technology and the power and the knowledge and the wisdom to do something about it. And they remained isolated as a matter of policy. We do not fool around with the rest of the world. Because look what happens when the world finds out what kind of riches are here. They come and they take people and they take the value of it all. At the, you know, the, the opening scene when, when he's in the British Museum talking about all the stuff that you stole. I'm just taking it back, you know. Um, how do you think it got here in the first place, right? Anyway, that conversation with T'Challa, that's the way it's laid out by the villain who has scars across his body, each marking a, a, a kill. He's killed, God, it looks like a thousand scars on his body. Oh, yeah. There are lots He's a of CIA them. operative, a heavily trained combat. He's a killing machine. Yep. T'Challa accepts the challenge, and he loses the challenge. Here's a, this is a slight spoiler. It's not, you've probably already seen the movie. It seems like everybody in the world has seen the movie, but... He loses the challenge and he's cast off the waterfall to his death. And the usurper becomes the king. The person who has the right, 
He has the blood. He has the family lineage, but he does not have the training. He doesn't have the spirit, the, the heart, the spirit, all of those things. That, that He doesn't that, have the level of development. That's right. So then you have the real, um, the real Arthurian stuff. The land is the king and the king is the land. And there's a moment where T'Challa again goes to the land of the ancestors, where when you take the ritual, um, the, the, what is it called? The, the heart-shaped herb. They give him the heart-shaped herb trying to save him and it sends him back to the land of his ancestors. And there he mm-hmm. sees his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather, mm-hmm. all of the kings and all of the Black Panthers that came before him. And they say, it's time, T'Challa. You've done your best. It's time for you to come with us. And he says, why didn't you reach out to the world to help? Why did you let injustice go on? And they said, well, this is just the way we do things. And he says, well, I think that's wrong. I think we have to do something new. I have to go back. I cannot let this stand. I have to bring everything that I have. Show him, show them who you are. And he goes back. And And this is, by the way, just, we've talked about this before, Steve. This is the textbook, classic hero's journey. Yeah, absolutely. To the point of going into the netherworld, coming back, changed, going back to the people with your new gift and insight. Yep, absolutely. And it's, and it's King Arthur. It's, it's, you know, it's, I really didn't realize that. Well, it's, it's the, the I don't know that myth that well. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty complicated myth, but so it's the Fisher King too. So the Fisher King, I'll tell you this one real quick. It's a good, it's a good story. Uh, There's, there's a million versions of the Fisher King, but here's a short version of it. So when he's a young King, this guy, this, this, he's out in the forest. I don't know what he's doing out in the forest, but he's out in the forest having some kind of an adventure. And this King has a vision of the grail and the grail speaks to him and says, you're going to be a great King and you are going to have possession of the Holy grail. And you're going to, you know, be a wonderful King to the world. And the King is moved by the vision of the grail. He's, He's kind of lustful over the vision of the grail and he, he reaches for it into that sort of mystical world that wasn't for him. It's just a vision, you know, and he drinks from the cup and he burns his mouth. So the Fisher King is traditionally, or not traditionally, in all the stories, he's wounded. The wound is different sometimes, but this one, he burns his mouth on the on the, the knowledge and, and the power that you get from the grail before he's ready for it right? He doesn't understand it. So he's scarred, injured badly, and then spends the rest of his, his uh, life as king sending his, his knights out looking for the grail, grail quest. You've got to find this thing. I need it. I, it's going to help me, right? And long story short, because it's a very long story, and, but he's in bed, he's sick, he's old, he's dying. Uh, like, like King Arthur, you know, at, at, the, at the end. Um, and the, a fool comes in. In the bigger story, this is usually Parsifal, but, but you can just say it's a fool comes in. And the fool being 
you know, you know how fools are allowed to interact with kings in ways that other people aren't because there's something charming about the fact that they don't know any better, right? So he's in the king's bedroom and the king looks in a bad way and he says, can I do something for you? And the king says, I'm, I'm thirsty. And his mouth is burned and all that stuff. So the fool looks around the room, grabs a cup, fills it with water, gives it to the king. And all of a sudden the king is filled with, with strength and his wound goes away and he looks down in his hand and he's holding the grail cup in his hand. The fool gave him the grail cup and he says, I've been looking for this my entire life. I've sent all my knights all around the world <laughs> trying to find this thing. How did you find it? How did you get this? And he said, I, I don't know. I just thought you were thirsty. And that's it. That's the secret to the grail. You know, wow. that's the secret to caring, to having that kind of heart, which T'Challa has. Yeah. So he goes to the land of the dead and he comes back with a mission and a gift and he wins that fight. But so let's go back to that question. I'll ask you what, again, what, what to do with the oppressors? What does this say about what, to, how, because I think it's very modern and it's very postmodern. It's a, it's a, it's some kind of a response to postmodernism okay, we've identified oppressors, we've identified injustice, we're angry, what do we do? Because here seems like two choices presented in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the one that wins out and the one that clearly we're meant to sympathize with is the one where they reach out. And, you know, it's not like they're doing forgiveness and it's, it, there's the, whatever, it's, but they're meeting, all of that with love and sharing and um, yeah, the spirit of friendship mm -hmm. and that this is seen and installed by young people all around the world. And that's the other thing we want to say to Steve is this movie is a huge hit and yes. is a huge hit all around the world. Yeah. Uh, particularly I hear they're just going crazy for it in Africa. I and I, you know, I am so happy that there is this kind of a positive uh, myth yeah. being installed in the minds of young people who need myth. That's, you know, we all go through that stage where we really want that to be well installed. And this is a beauty. Yeah. And you could see that it's going to, you know, we're going to have Black Panther 2 and they're going to continue with this. And because um, I don't think the ending was that clear, you know. But uh, it's just going to be funny. Yeah, I did. Yes. Okay. Yes, totally. And, and that was just beautiful at the end. Uh, there's a, there's a, don't leave before the credits are over, people. <laughs> this, I guess this is a Marvel thing. They, yeah, do, they yeah. sneak in a significant scene after the credits. Yeah. And well, they set up all the other, all the movies. As, as I was telling you before, all of these films are one giant movie. Oh, so what's going to happen in the next movie is we're going to see that opening to the world. <gasps> Steve, mm -hmm. I am so plot <laughs> challenged. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But well, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, want, I, just let me say one thing that there's, there's another interpretation <laughs> that is getting some traction and this is from the right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I was, reading Breitbart to see what their take on this movie was. 
and 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 here's here's just the first paragraph of what they one of the, their writers Fabius Maximus wrote. I don't know who that is, but it's called the day that changed America. It said one night in 2015, Donald Trump put Barron to bed. As he left, a comic book caught his eye. It was an issue of the Black Panther. He read it, and the course of American history was changed. Trump read about the nation of Wakanda, the richest nation in the world, an ethnically homogeneous and peaceful nation with a strong ruler and the world's most powerful military, the most technologically advanced nation in the world, with a wall or force field keeping out migrants from poor and primitive regions. <laughs> so, uh, hang on one thing. Yeah. Trump saw that Wakanda was the model for our future and that we can make America great again by learning from the Black Panther. The wall is the key to make it work, as it is for Wakanda. Trump came, came down from his penthouse, Aerie, to share this insight with the world. The rest is history. Yeah, that, it's astonishing how much that misses the point of this movie. <laughs> um, well, because, you know, because, well, let me just say, yeah. let me, let me uh, address that, because the movie certainly did. Um, in the film, they went out of their way to indicate that uh, Killmonger, if you're going to make any kind of an, an analog to real life, is Trump. The idea is, uh, the it's a, a grievance thing, right? So the Breitbart people make their money off of grievance and building walls and all of that stuff. Uh, well, the aggrieved, uh, in this case, an aggrieved, uh, you know, descendant of, of Africa in a world full of colonialism is going to have his vengeance, but he's going to come back. He's going to usurp the throne, which they specifically talked about the, uh, the Martin Freeman character quite specifically said, yes, that's exactly, they said, well, he's destroyed the heart shape herb, right? That's the first thing Killmonger did. He took the herb, took the power for himself and then burned the breadcrumbs so that no one else could follow. No one else could ever have that in his mind. That's what he was trying to do. And they said, he's burned the herb. And, and, and Martin Freeman said, well, of course he did. That's what's what he's trained to do. He's former CIA. And what he does is he goes into other cultures and disrupts them. He go, he, and, you know, and he specifically said, whether it's change the king, change the president, that's exactly what he said in the movie. So the Breitbart guy, I don't know if he's doing that on purpose or not, but he's 100% missed well, the point of the movie well, in exactly the wrong direction. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, don't, I don't actually don't disagree with that. I do think that there is, uh, it's interesting that Wakanda is this, you know, not myth, not utopia, protopia. It's moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, and one of the characteristics of it, it is it has stayed in its, you know, uh, cocoon in a way. And, and so and they deliberately talk about how Wakanda has ignored refugees in the past and has not let people in, but now they're going to. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when it, they do, because, you know, the, the piece of the truth that the Breitbart people have is that uh, putting 
too many people at a different stage of development into a culture is uh, you could go too far with that. Well, yeah. I mean, to me that this is, this always just goes back to the, the reason why I want to have the series of things of finding the gold, because I think there's a tremendous amount of gold in traditional mindsets and that ain't part of it. You're saying it's a piece of the truth, but I mean, it's something that you do. If they have something that's a piece of the truth, which I think they, they absolutely do. It's the, there is more to the world than we see. It's that stuff. It's, it's, well, again, going back to the Black Panther, the movie lays it out perfectly. There's a responsibility that you have, right? And when you have that consciousness, the traditional consciousness that values, it's supposed to value ethics and morals and all that stuff. When you have that and it's within you and you have personal responsibility towards it, you are a hero. The corruption of that, happens when when you lose the personal responsibility i mean a, a lot of the problem it, 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 a lot of the problem of of the traditional mindset in our world today is there they and don't mean i obviously don't mean everyone i'm just talking about like just sort of like the momentum of this of the way they're moving breitbart is a good example and trump is <laughs> It's a forgetting of the really important stuff. And it's, it, what it really is, is kind of a panic. It's a sense of, oh my God, we're losing this thing. And it's a belief that a lot, that this is why, you know, you tend to find a lot of conspiracy minded thought, which you can see it, it literally is coming out of the White House now. Everything is some kind of a conspiracy where there isn't one. But the reason is, they are believing that other people are getting away with murder all the time. And we got to fight fire with fire and kill monger. These, uh, uh, which literally means he sells death. He, he will kill for you for money. Um, he has a point, which is what makes the movie so strong. His point isn't absurd. He is in his mind, a hero. Yeah. But but it's a grievance thing. No. He's a no, it's, 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 he's a, a much more interesting villain than you're typically used to in in terms of just somebody who wants to first of all just fuck up the world like the Joker and Batman. Right. Or somebody who wants to bestride the world like some arch villain who runs everything. This guy wants to set things right from past wrongs, but just in a low consciousness way or yeah. not an adequately conscious way. And that is really where the tension is in the culture. Yes. I think this movie is a a surprising to me uh, statement uh, and manifesto for the second view, even though it respects and wants to include the first view. It's really something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it admits that the first view has, has a point. Yes. But this is where I, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the words that you use there. Killmonger has a point, but his point isn't what I would call a piece of the truth. It's a, it's, there's something true that happened, right? The, the, the hardships of his personal life happened and the hardships of thousands of years of oppression happened. But his line, he had a line of dialogue in it when he was arguing with T'Challa at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie where 
you know, someone says that you can't just destroy the world over this. And, and he says something to the effect of, you know, well, the world did all this to me, you know, so I'm going to do it. Well, okay. So that's, that's wrong, right? That, that is, that's uh, poisoned by anger. And, and, and then when you have poisoned by anger and you, and you marry it to great power, which he has, and, and great heart and courage, which he has, he has the ability to seize the mantle of the black Panther and, and the, the crown of Wakanda. He did all that. Yeah. You know, well, the, that the way I use right. Well, no, it doesn't make him right in the whole, but the, it, that's why we call it a piece of the truth. The piece of the truth is that there has been oppression and that, and, and that those wrongs can be righted in some fashion that is more conscious than he sees. And that moves forward into an integral view. Yeah. Now, the other piece of the truth that I'm not so sure you're buying is the piece of the truth of the, of the traditionalists who um, say that cultural homogeneity is an important factor. It's an important part of the poll uh, to multiculturalism. I mean, they don't put it that way. They just basically want a more mono-ethnically pure culture. But the piece of the truth to that is that there is a louche among people uh, sort of a feeling of togetherness that has to be maintained and can't be diluted too quickly. So that's a piece of the truth that is then taken forward into a more integral view where it is factored in with, you know, wisdom and compassion and intelligence and love. So that's, I mean, it may be the way we're saying things and the idea of the piece of the truth, but that's my take on it. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I might just be I'm, I might be parsing the words too closely, but it, to, to me, I feel like you're talking about things that are people are making arguments based on something that is partially true, and you're calling it a piece of the truth. I think that sounds like too. I think a piece of the truth is more grandiose than being partially true. All right, I'll partially, go partially true, true isn't necessarily helpful. <laughs> You know what I mean? That piece has to be there for there to be a, a solid integration. That That is, you know, true. That's at least part of integral theory. Yeah. But you I know, mean. You want all of those to be, you know, healthy, but integrated into a bigger system. Right. Uh, but partial truth, I'll go with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying saying something that's partially true to make a point that, that is wrong sound right, right? Because so Killmonger, again, has a point, right? There is something to argue about here. He's not, I mean, that's the beauty of him as a villain. You, you see where he's coming from, and it kind of makes sense. And you could understand why some of the other people rally around him. By the way, speaking of the traditional, the general who says, I'm loyal to the throne. And she's a good person with a good Fantastic. heart, but she's so traditional. And she, there's that great conversation. She says, you know, I have, I'm going to save the king or something like that. And, and the other person says, well, I'm going to save Wakanda. Yeah. And they, they agree to disagree with the idea of don't run into me with this again because i'll kill you next time 
I yeah. mean, they didn't say that, but it was kind of implied like that when the general says, I'm loyal to the throne, no matter who's sitting in the throne. Yeah. And it was also That's a higher fight. stage of development. That's moving into a traditional uh, from a more red uh, where, you know, might is right. And the big daddy's big daddy. Yeah. Uh, and to more um, uh, uh, allegiance to the institution and to, you know, the, power of the culture, the transcendent good. It's, it's an interesting question about real life as well, because totally. in the United States, I think that, that, that people that are loyal to the throne, if the throne is the presidency, they're very, very confused. Because in the United, in the United States, you want your generals to be loyal to the Constitution. That's yeah. the throne. And That's it's right. easily, easily confused when you have a pseudo authoritarian kind of person throwing yep. orders around. Well, and you can see that the authoritarian strata of our society likes him better than the rules. Mm -hmm. And that's fortunately that they're about a third and there's two thirds that are, you know, more on the rule side of the street. And I think that will take the yeah. day as it did in Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Should I, uh, uh, I, see was there anything else i was i took a couple of notes here um well i think i'm complete perfect and whole there's there's um you know i just think it's a terrific movie and i'm it's funny i'd forgotten some of the major plot points that you talked about mm. uh but uh, I, I get it in a way more impressionistically, I think. I'm a little defective on that other side of the street. But. Well, you know, it's interesting that movie also, um, as Marvel movies go, it wasn't heavy on action. Right. There was, there was one great action sequence, the one in South Korea, and the other ones are the kind of, they always, to me, they they tend to blend together. They're all like, okay, so this is, this is a 15 minute long battle, right. but they didn't have a lot of that in this movie. No, they didn't. They, and, had, and I, they had the end and they had that part in the middle. That's right. And I compare it to Wonder Woman where mm -hmm. I was, you know, basically after they left the island, I was bored out of my mind. Mm -hmm. It was just one action scene after the next. And Gail Godot, God bless her. She's as charismatic as they come, but mm -hmm. I, she, she was played Wonder Woman uh, and she's great, but it wasn't enough. This was different. This had a this was a whole different ball game for me than Wonder Woman. Yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Steve? About what specifically? The, the, this compared to Wonder Woman, because these are the two big, you know, superhero franchises that bring forth the first of all the feminine, and then now the the, the race. Yeah, uh, and so they're comparable in that way. Well, I think they're they're comparable in the way that you just said, but they're also comparable in a way that doesn't always come through, or it's actually, it doesn't always, it's not that it doesn't come through, it's all superhero movies are not about the same thing. Uh, and these two are about the same thing, which is that there's a, there is a, um, and, and the inner greatness, the power of spirit and the power of being your best, the power of uh, understanding what gift you can bring to the world, right? And then mm -hmm. and doing it in the case of the, these two heroes, Black Panther and Wonder Woman, doing it on, obviously on a extreme level, right? Mm -hmm. 
but it's still it's the same message you know to to the young mm-hmm. um in fact actually I, I i wrote a note down myself that that the myths are for the young but that's only because the young are the most ready to grow the myths are really for anyone who is ready to grow and can use them for comprehension comprehending and guidance so wow damn right man so wonder woman is it's myth. I mean, it's, it's literally Greek myth with a made up portion, right? I mean, her part of it is not part of Greek mythology, but they, they use Greek mythology and then create this thing that, you know, um, so yeah, both of them harken back to the beginning. Both of them harken back to a time, the, a before time when memory is foggy, mm-hmm. but what comes through is the heart and, mm-hmm. and, 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 that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Again, and, and you're making me remember some of the heart of Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, but again, uh, the ratio of fighting to heart was—I liked it better in Wolanda. Well, I mean, we've we've touched on this before, but the Marvel movies are vastly superior to those to any of the ones made by Warner Brothers and DC. Was Wonder Woman it's not DC? even close? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so these Wonder are the Woman two different big franchises here: the Wonder Woman DC and Black Panther is Marvel. Yeah, cool. But well, okay, we'll wrap this up with. I'll do my little my my uh, little mini rant of explaining how amazing the Marvel comic thing is. Good, because there's no reason for this to exist in the world. It is. It's unbelievable that it does. <laughs> they oh, have like it already. They've completely changed the way the movie industry functions by they created it. Well, right, I'll go back to the beginning. The guys who even made this, the Black Panther, two young Jewish guys from New York invented the Black Panther. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who invented all the Marvel comic stuff. You see Stan Lee has a cameo appearance in every Marvel movie. And he's like 92 years old. It's amazing. Um, just a side note. I, I, like 10 years ago, I guess, uh, I went to the Hollywood Bowl to see um, The Sound of Music live. Where they, it was called Sing Along with the Sound of Music, where they, they show the movie on a screen and have the dancing ball <laughs> be fun. on the screen and do that. 33 whatever many people fit in the thousand people in the bowl all came i'd never even seen the sound of music before so this was the first time i'd seen it oh my god in costume they're all you know dressed up and everybody's doing something they play the movie everyone's singing every word and it's this big celebration of this movie and at the intermission of the movie they introduce uh over the loudspeaker robert wise who is the director of that film is sitting in the box seat. Whoa. And he stands up and he's like, you know, a hundred years old. He's gotta be. And I was thinking at the time, like, oh my God, what that must mean to him. That oh. he made this movie at some other stage in his life and he's sitting among this live audience that's like a football stadium, all singing and dressed up and celebrating this thing. It's absolutely amazing. That's what it's like now for Stan Lee. He has an Alfred Hitchcock cameo appearance in every one of these movies. There's been 18 of them so far. And he invented all of this stuff. He wrote it, right? And because this movie, by the way, is true to the first appearance of Black Panther in 1966. 
Oh, for heaven's sakes. The, and and the in the Wakanda 70s. and the you yes, know, that, Prince and all that, of that was the vision. It feels so new. When these two two New York white writers, or one artist and one writer, were inventing this character, there was, you know, there was a lot of black characters and there was a lot of failed comic books that, you know, that didn't sell with a black lead and all that stuff. These guys sat down to create one and all those things that we're talking about of the majesty of the king and all of the, like, I remember when I was a kid, there was something about that character that just sort of made you sit up straight. I don't know what it was, but it was like, this guy's cool. He was always sort of a, it took him a while before he had his own magazine, but he came out in Fantastic Four, which was the first superhero team at Marvel. And his character was, he was a villain sort of, who came forth from this utopian secret kingdom in Wakanda to challenge the Fantastic Four, basically just to see how good he was. And he defeated them, by the way. Hmm. He beat the Fantastic Four, but then it was sort of revealed that he's really kind of a good guy. He's just sort of like this, he was sort of like an arrogant king kind of thing. But um, all of that stuff was part of what the character was. And the Killmonger character was from the 70s. And it was the same exact character, you know, not the same storyline, obviously, but it was the same idea. Mm-hmm. He was, he was a, 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 an aggrieved against the oppression of black people. Yeah, like right? a real Black Panther from the 70s. Right. And by yeah. the way, the Black Panther was the Black Panther before the Black Panthers. Uh-huh. And the comic book company pressured them to change the name. Because they said, well, this is too political. So for a brief amount of time, he was called the Black Leopard. And then Stan Lee and Jack Kirby just go, no, this is stupid. The Black Panther's cool. <laughs> and they started calling him the Black Panther. <laughs> but they actually had the name first. You know? uh, interesting. And someone. And, but uh, right, I wonder if Bobby Seal and those guys took the name from the comic book. I'm not sure. It, it, it's a, it would be a... Uh, obvious name anyway but he was yeah and he was also he was just a character then he didn't have his own comic book but he was a character at the time but anyway just to finish this this what you're looking at when because i think you you should appreciate it it'll help you uh, this will help you to appreciate how wonderful this stuff is they revolutionized the comic book industry which is kind of like you know, revolutionizing your basement. It's not that big of a deal, the comic book industry in the 1960s. But they did it by creating these um, real human characters that had real human interaction. They called, Marvel was called the house of ideas. They, they always had something cool going on. Um, and, you know, that went on for decades people were constantly licensing their characters to make TV shows, to make bad TV shows and to make bad movies out of them, <laughs> to, to make disrespectful movies out of them. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do this, but like, eh, I don't like the fact that he has this power. Let's just, and it's too hard to film that. Let's change that. And let's do this. Uh, you know, then, then but 50 years later, when there was, the special effects capability to do it. And the company was trying to branch out. They were, they, they wanted to do something with their, with their own characters. They wanted to make the movies that they wanted to make, 
but all of their big characters were licensed to other studios. Spider-Man was Sony, the X-Men, which who don't appear in these movies, are 20th Century Fox. Fantastic Four was 20th Century Fox, and a bunch of their characters were already licensed out. So they took their B characters, Iron Man, Captain America, famous, yes, but they're not, you know, they're not Spider-Man. They don't sell comic books like Spider-Man does. But, hey, let's make a good movie out of it. They hired John Favreau to direct Iron Man, starring Robert Downey Jr., and it was awesome. And they did it by what's the best we could possibly do that's true to the character, true to every, true to the original vision. Modern, sure. Change the dialogue. Stan Lee's dialogue is incredibly corny. And, and all the comic book dialogue was incredibly corny up through like maybe 1980, where they finally started like talking like people. But, you know, the characters were true and the characters were great, by the way. And, they t- and, and so anyway, they Iron Man, and that movie was a hit. And they decided, they, meaning this, so this executive who was a movie producer, worked for Marvel Studios. His vision is, let's do movies the way the comic books work, which is all the stories cross over with each other. Spider-Man is trying to join the Fantastic Four, right? Uh, Captain America and Iron Man are in the Avengers, So we're going to take all of our, we can't have Spider-Man, can't have the Fantastic Four, but what we're going to do, since Iron Man was a hit, we're going to take everybody that was the original member of the Avengers, and we're going to give them their own movie, and then we're going to put them all together in an Avengers movie. So there was an Incredible Hulk. Then there was uh, Captain America. And then there was Thor. And none of those movies, if they'd been made 10 years earlier, would ever have been any good. In fact, The Incredible Hulk was made earlier by the brilliant Ang Lee, and it was a terrible movie. Awful. I remember it. Why? Because they didn't respect the material. Ang Lee's like, oh, you want me to correct The Incredible Hulk and make it something great? Okay, sure. I'm a genius. I'll do that. No, I don't want to see that. I want to see The Incredible Hulk. And if you want to direct it, great. You are a genius. But don't change the story. He changed the story. It's garbage, right? They made the regular Hulk the way it was supposed to be. They made Thor, which is like, are you kidding? Like, you're going to make a movie out of Thor? (laughs) They hired Kenneth Branagh, and it was awesome. You're going to make a movie out of Captain America, and you're going to spend $150 million on the budget, even though you know it couldn't possibly work? Of course it will fail. It's ridiculous. No, it was an awesome movie. And then they had those four movies, and they came out with The Avengers, all the actors, all under contract, and they think all this stuff through. They hire directors to make the next, you're going to make the sequel to Captain America, and you got to make a great movie, but you got to do this first. It's going to go here. you got to touch this plot point, this plot point, and this plot point, because three years from now, it's all going to come together. All of this has to be talked about. And trust me, nothing in Hollywood ever, 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 would be done like that before. First of all, it's an insane risk. If any of those movies didn't work, the whole house of cards collapse and you're committed to to spending millions of dollars to do it, but they all worked and they kept doing it and kept expanding it. And each movie has like a little appearance, like Robert Downey will show up and, and Samuel Jackson is Nick Fury, the agent of shield who holds all that stuff together. Shield does. It's sort of, it's a thing where you can cross pollinate all these stories because 
it's sort of like a home base for them to touch base. Anyway, that's what they did. And they kept doing it. And they make movies that are action movies. They make movies that are more comedy. They make Guardians of the Galaxy, which is this spectacular, like, 1970s acid trip outer space. That's, that's the one with the talking raccoon. Yeah. And it's <laughs> great. You know, I mean, I, and every single time, like the first 10 times I went to go see one of these movies, like, well, this one's going to be stupid. It's just, <laughs> and you go see it, and you know, oh, I'm sorry. That was the best movie I saw this year. It, almost oh every God. time. Well, and Steve, you're, you're talking me into it, man. Well, and so just to, to the DC movies, they don't do anything like that. That's it, they're all owned by Warner Brothers. They constantly, and we've talked about this before, the Superman using his x-ray vision to see Lois Lane naked. It's like, what are you doing? It's, it has nothing to do with Superman. And, and so many things that have nothing to do with anything, right? And they eventually, they started looking at the success of Marvel and they're like, well, can we do that? You know, and, and it actually kind of parallels DC Comics was a failing thing too. And then they started copying Marvel and didn't really do it as well, but eventually came around. So DC Comics and Marvel Comics are pretty similar to each other at, at, okay. for the last 20 or 30 right. years. Yeah. But these movie companies don't get it. And Warner Brothers is like, yeah, no, this will be easy. We'll just take Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and put them all together and make a shitty movie. Like, and, and I honestly, I think that's their attitude. Because <laughs> that's what it looks like. We'll make a movie that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I was a Superman nut as a kid, mm -hmm. so I've, I've been done my superhero <coughs> stage. <coughs> Excuse me, but the movies have been so bad, and I just stopped watching them, and I sort of put the whole superhero genre behind me. Yeah, thanks to you, Steve. <laughs> I'm serious. <coughs> I have, you know, <clears throat> entered, moved forward into, you know, reclaiming the magic of this genre and when it's done well and how inspiring it is. Uh, and so, well, you know, th that's what, one more thing about that, that th about what this is that we're witnessing is those stories for people that are, so I'm a Gen Xer uh, and, and, people younger and older too, but those stories from the 60s and the 70s, for me, it was the late 70s and the 80s, but same carry through. Those are our mythology. Star Wars is our mythology. Star Trek is our mythology. And comic books are our yep. mythology. Yep. I, I don't know if I've said this before, but I, I, on this show, but I've said this before. People remember Odysseus. They don't remember, or at least they don't remember very well, the real life general from that era. You know, you can find a historian who can probably name a name, but they remember Odysseus. They still make movies about Odysseus today. Yeah. 500 years from now, people will remember Batman. People will know Superman. They will know Darth Vader. They're not even going to know Tom Jode, which is, that's my favorite novel of all time. And I think one of the most uh, contemporaneously important characters of the 20th century, but they're not going to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But they will remember Batman. Yeah. No, I mean, we install stories, not facts. We yeah. install facts too, but 
they're thin gruel compared to stories. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, 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 how these movies install these myths in today's people and particularly young people. But as you said, for everybody, because who doesn't need a good myth and a good story? Yeah. And the uh, thing, and the, the thing that makes this work with, with Marvel is the people that are making these movies are, you know, in their forties, they grew up with it. They love it. And more importantly, they understand it. And because of the way it happened, the way they sort of edged into the door of making their own stories from in-house Marvel, since it's been bought by Disney, but it's still the same people. And, and Disney's just giving more money to the same people with the, with the uh, marching orders of keep doing what you're doing. Here's right. a little bit more money, Smart. but this is incredible. Keep doing what you're doing. But what they're doing is they understand why they loved that when they were 10. And it's a, it didn't happen with something like Star Wars. Star Wars was pure. Empire Strikes Back was a, a, a more than worthy follow through. And then money sits in, sets in. Then, then uh, too many cooks sit in too many considerations. You know, if we make, they were going to make the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees, right? They're supposed to be like Chewbacca, but instead, you know, hey, let's make them like teddy bears and we can, it'll be like a marketing thing. You know, that happens, right? And it'll happen to this too. But what we're seeing right now is the people who have control of it already have the money concerns and all that stuff it's taken care of, but what they're holding on to is why are we doing this in the first place? And it's because they love and understand these characters and they want to deliver. And these movies are delivering to kids today what they, what the comic books delivered to the grownups that are making them now. And I think that's a big deal and it's not really the way Hollywood works. Yeah. Well, evolution, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to see and, and watch it unfold in real time. <laughs>